Bitcoiners, welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. It's your boy CK. I took a little bit of a hiatus, but I know that Ansel has kept y'all up to date with everything that's happening in macro and Bitcoin. This week I am back and Ansel has prepared a extensive list of things happening. There's no shortage of Bitcoin relevant things happening in the world. Uh, I know I've been personally following Canada very, very closely. Uh, we're going to be talking about that, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Ansel, before we get into everything here, I want to check in on you, man. How you doing? It's been a long time since we talked. Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Just uh, you're the one doing all the traveling. So uh, I would like to hear about uh, all the stuff that you've been up to the last couple of weeks and, you know, try and just, I was just trying to hold it down, do my 50% of the show and uh, wait till the man CK got back. But no, uh, how was your last couple of weeks? Yeah, it was great. Uh, I did my first international travel since COVID. I, uh, I've definitely been moving around. I know that you like to stay hunkered down in the city though, but uh, yeah. I, I definitely like to roam and yeah, I finally got out of the US, went over to Dubai, hung out with some Bitcoiners, went to one of my best friend's weddings, uh, which was a multiple day affair and it was really extravagant. So that was a great time. But man, it, traveling to Dubai from uh, from California takes it out of you. You got to you got to do a 12 hour time switch. So it's a complete like 180 on your uh, on your night and your day. So it's it's not easy, but you know, I'm here, I'm working the very next day, coming back in uh, from Dubai. And uh, man, I've just been so, so thrilled with like the developments in the Bitcoin space like this. You know, they say, uh, you know, uh, nothing happens in decades and then decades happens in years. Something along those lines. I'm sure I butchered that. Like that is really 2020, uh, 2022, 2021. That has been the story for sure. When it rains, it pours, right? Yeah, I've been writing on my newsletter uh, that's at bitcoinandmarkets.com for, I don't know, the second half of last year, it seemed like the news was really just slow. And every week I would say, you know, I'm finding those good nuggets for you guys on the newsletter. And now it's like, I have to pare it down because there's just so much news happening. Let's get into Canada that you brought up. Wait, wait, before we, before we get into Canada, I was told that we need to talk about Miami. So Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through the 9th. Actually, if you're watching this, I will be getting on Twitter spaces immediately after. So at 1230 Pacific, uh, 3.30 Eastern, in order to talk about all the updates that are happening with Bitcoin 2022. But a lot is going down. We are dropping speakers. It is going to be four straight days of Bitcoin madness. And hey, we're trying to get the truckers to be speaking at the conference. We're trying to do everything to bring every single person that is relevant in Bitcoin to Miami. This is going to be a tour de force, 30,000 people in the flesh showing the world that Bitcoin is real and this movement is here to stay. So uh, I'm really excited for it. Uh, It's gonna be just absolutely unreal. Three times bigger than Bitcoin 2021, which was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history by a long shot. So uh, I think we're pushing the frontier uh, in Bitcoin conferences, in the frontier for freedom, uh, in this weird dystopian age that we find ourselves in. And uh, yeah, I mean, you got to go to Bitcoin 2022. It sounds like my audio is a little weird. So I'm going to just plug the the promo code, which is YTMAG, get 10% off. I'm going to jump off Zoom and come back in, but I'll hand it off to you, Ansel, if you want to uh, start with the news on Canada. All right. Yeah, that's huge news, man. Getting the truckers as speakers, that would be awesome to get them in there, especially some of the people that are raising money for the truckers and asking how that uh, their experience has gone because I wanted to give an update on Give, Send, Go. So this was the fiat alternative to GoFundMe that raised a bunch of money for the truckers and they were hacked over the last, I think it was like 48 hours ago or uh, 72 hours ago, they were hacked and they leaked a big list. I think it was 90,000 donors, how much they donated, their addresses, their emails, all of that stuff was associated with their donation, including I think picture IDs, some of the files from their picture IDs. So this was a major hack. Um, that didn't look good for Give, Send, Go. They, they, kind of the story behind this now is they were 
ordered by the court to freeze those funds. But Give, Send, Go is an American company. And so they said they're not going to see, they're not going to freeze the funds. And they started to disperse the funds or distribute the funds to the truckers. Well, they have to distribute those funds to a bank. So the Canadian banks were freezing the funds as soon as they got to the bank accounts from Give, Send, Go. So even when you use an alternative to GoFundMe, like Give, Send, Go, which is much more uh, freedom-oriented, they still can't get past the government blockade on the banks in Canada. So that is a big development. Of course, TallyCoin is a decentralized service that people can run donation drives or campaigns on and uh, it raises Bitcoin. You can send it on on-chain or Lightning Network and they've raised over a million dollars worth of Bitcoin for the truckers. Um, then when this emergency thing came out just the other day or last yesterday, I think, uh, the Emergency Act, the campaign on TallyCoin went dark. So that is kind of, I know Christian has some updates on this. If his audio is back up, um, I'll let him touch on that. Or Chris, do you have, oh, there he is. Do you have some updates, I'm, I'm, Christian, on the tally coin? I'm not hopeful that my internet is better. Um, better. I'll come in. Better. Okay. So I mean, understand I, you. yeah, I mean, the update that I know of is that, you know, obviously this emergency act is uh, wide ranging and, uh, you know, really removes any sort of kind of like court or legal protection from anyone involved and it reaches to Bitcoin. So obviously the well-known Bitcoiners who were uh, key holders who had already kind of distributed their keys to other people prior to this happening uh, got really spooked. That's a, it's just really wide ranging and scary that, you know, they, the Canadian government could do something like this. It's an emergency action using legal authority that has never been used before. Uh, so this is like for super, super, super serious things. And it's never been used before. And nothing has met the criteria to legally do it. So it's just precedent setting. And it's just insane that it happened, you know, with a from what everyone can see is a very peaceful protest with significant support. And here's the crazy thing is Trudeau is saying that these people have like fringe unacceptable views. But these views are views that have now been adopted by several Canadian provinces, as well as the UK and several other um, nations across the, 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 the globe, you know, their partners. So these aren't fringe, you know, their demands aren't like fringe demands. Like these are, this is widely uh, used and accepted policy by many. So it's really insane that this is this is happening. But yeah, you know, given that context, obviously the key holders are spooked. They took down the Tallycoin page. I believe they moved the funds to different wallets. So I would not recommend uh, donating to previous donation addresses, although theoretically Bitcoin works that way. Um, we don't know if they still have access to the quorums and stuff like that. Maybe they burned those keys for liability purposes. So I probably wouldn't donate to random addresses unless uh, you are actually coordinating with someone on the ground. But I put out a tweet saying that Trudeau and the, and the Canadian government effectively took the nuclear position here, right? Like they went full nuclear two weeks in. And uh, once this movement goes completely on like, you know, I guess a separate system, the Bitcoin system and P2P, you know, literally people showing up and handing them uh, aid and food and fuel. Um, once it goes full P2P, this, this movement becomes much, much harder to squash, right? So really Trudeau went the nuclear option right at the, at the beginning. He showed all, he, he flexed all of his muscles. The very next day, the, 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 the police chief of Ottawa um, resigned. So I don't know well, where the context fits in there, but uh, I, I, do, I do not think it was a good political move by Trudeau. And in the long run, it makes this movement even more powerful. I hope I came in all right for that. Yeah, we had you. Um, also, they had a vote in their parliament parliament yesterday uh, that was saying, hey, how about just a simple deadline? That's all we want is when will these mandates end? And it was voted down barely. There was It was a strictly partisan vote, except one liberal voted for the, for the motion, but it still got voted down. So yeah, it's a, a fringe idea that is what? 60% of the people 
and including 40% of the politicians agree with this. So yeah, it's, it's totally not a fringe idea. They're just painting it as insurrection and occupation and all that. Now, a f interesting part of the give, send, go controversy here is that give, send, go is an American company and 30 in the in the hack released the data dump uh 35% of the dollar amount was from us citizens or us sources so then that enables the canadian government to say oh look this is foreign sources of funding to fund this quote unquote insurrection i mean it just gives them more ammunition when it is uh this cross border type payment stuff. So um, I don't know, it's it's heating up, but it seems to be like getting to a climax uh, this week, most likely, I think this will come to a climax and we'll see what happens where the dust settles. So Chris, we I was gonna take go Chris, ahead. do you have anything to add there? Uh, no, well, I, I got sorry, Chris, go ahead. Uh, no, nothing really to add there. If you guys want to keep going. Well, we had that clip. Did you? Would this be a good time to play that clip of the deputy prime minister? And she's talking about how they are all, you know, going to clamp down on this financing. Yep, we can play the clip right now. So it's a short, I think, a minute fifteen clip. So we'll play that clip right now. Stay with us, and then CK and Ansel will uh, analyze it. So hold on, folks. First we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. The illegal blockades have highlighted the fact that crowdfunding platforms and some of the payment service providers they use are not fully captured under the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorist Financing Act. Our banks and financial institutions are already obligated to report to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada, or FinTrack. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack. This will help mitigate the risk. That All right, Christian, what I would like to know is, you know, if they're able to crack down on these well-known Bitcoiners that are in charge of this uh, fundraising in Bitcoin. Formally in charge. Formally, uh, informally, whatever, in charge. Then um, what... You know, what does the benefit of Bitcoin bring? Like, I, I thought that this would, I didn't think that this would happen like this. Can you help me understand? <laughs> well, the reality is that this is why being anonymous is powerful. This is what, but at, on the flip side, you need, it's a catch-22 because you need reputation to actually collect a million dollars. They raised 21 Bitcoins, upwards of a million dollars in funds. You know, if you compare that to any of these other fundraisers, that's like, so that's a tenth of what the, the GoFundMe was, right? So, I mean, that's uh, that's very, very significant fundraising that was done via Bitcoin from across the globe. You know, we, we know that it was across the globe. A lot of the comments on the tally coin was like, love from this place, just freedom-loving people everywhere. You know, really what's happening here is, yes, there are some trusted individuals who are vulnerable in Canada, but the funds are not. The funds have already been distributed, right? And they're getting even more distributed. And there's no way that they can just wave their hand and freeze the funds, right? You know, so they actually have to go do police work and crack down. And again, if this is is uh, is anti fragile as I think it is, and if uh, if they do do it truly peer to peer and avoid centralized services. It's just going to be very, very expensive and difficult. And honestly, I just don't think that any of these institutions are actually competent enough to uh, to get to, to, to clamp down on this Bitcoin. So we'll see what it actually looks like in practice. But I guess, it, you know, that's my take. That's the Bitcoin difference is that, you know, now they can't just go, voila, frozen. You know, they actually have to work for it. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get into deeper is um, like, 
so gifts and go didn't freeze in, in the US, but the banks froze in Canada. So, I mean, there's so many touch points in the traditional fiat system that it, you have to be able to jump through these hoops. You have to jump through where Bitcoin, I guess, is one point of failure. And that would be like your public persona, your public identity out there on the internet. And that can be mitigated. I mean, I think that in the future, you might have big names like lending their support to a certain movement, but then the main people behind it will be anonymous. So, um, you know, there's, there's lessons for sure in Bitcoin or for Bitcoin and the Bitcoin community in this whole thing. So I think it's, it's great. And Bitcoin's going to come out stronger in the end. Should we jump on to the Federal Reserve? I guess just, just one last thing here is like, yeah. the beautiful thing about this trucker movement is that it's not just in Canada and it's not just in Ottawa, is that really what happened is this was a spark and it sparked it everywhere, right? And we're seeing across Europe, regulations being taken away at the very thought of truckers convoying because they don't want to deal with this. Like it's actually a logistical nightmare. They are a tour de force, truly. All of these truckers and this heavy machinery is a tour de force and them occupying space and holding their ground. Like governments don't want to deal with it. It's just easier. Like all these governments just want what is politically expedient. Even this, this uh, emergency order, it's literally the most politically expedient thing that Justin Trudeau, you know, thinks he can do is instead of address them, just call it illegal and and freeze all the accounts. It's all about political expedience. It's all about ease. And, you know, these politicians are lazy. They don't want to be confronted. So this works and we're seeing it, you know, light fires across the globe. And uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to, to continue to follow um, the developments, not just in Canada, but everywhere. Yeah. I have one thing to add before you take over, Ansel. I know certain people talk about various attack vectors. Obviously, us being Bitcoiners always uh, harp on the money being one of the most important. But uh, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe in the infrastructure bill when it passed in the tail end of 2021, there's talk about they want to go to fully electric. And, you know, a lot of the ESG movement was in that bill. And now for better or worse, whether you believe in that or not, I believe there was a line in there that says by 2026, all electric cars going forward have to have a kill switch, meaning that, you know, you know, that you are opposed to whatever the political party, whether you're speeding or whatever, you know, if you're doing something illegal, it's a way that they could stop your car. But, you know, that can expand much further than just acting uh, a moving violation, you know, oh, we don't like who you voted for. We don't like who you support. We don't like your religion. We don't like the color of your skin. I mean, it can be quite literally endless. And if you think that this is just the beginning, I think that's a, you know, a good spot to be in, basically. No, I mean, like, you're, you're completely right. And, you know, maybe there's multiple reasons why there's such a massive premium on used cars nowadays, because all of a sudden, you know, the, the legacy analog vehicles uh, are starting to have an enormous amount of additional utility. My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to add one more thing too here about Canada. And have you guys noticed this, that it seems like this movement 
was decentralized enough to stay one step ahead of the government reaction at all times. And even up to the last 24 hours when there were supposedly some uh, guns stolen in a different part of Canada and the uh, protesters were worried that these guns were going to be planted in Ottawa and they announced it on across the world on social media that there was going to be this uh, false flag type planting of evidence. And um, so it just seems like the Internet is really coming to life right now that the strengths of the internet are matching with the strengths of bitcoin maybe in this tally coin raise and um yeah i think it's a beautiful thing any comments on stay well, one step i think that's a fantastic observation Ansel. and again like man your your ability to 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 really hone in on the signal is really incredible but you're completely right and if, even if you think about the tally coin thing like the tally coin thing started three days after the convoy landed in Ottawa, right? The GoFundMe had not been frozen yet, but it's like it. There was already some signs of trouble and mischief there. You can trust GoFundMe, and here's this Bitcoin solution. Surely, but slowly, it emerged, right? And just days before this action, the keys were distributed. You know, were 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 distributed out to different stakeholders away from the original stakeholders. Um, so it does, and so on and so forth, and. You know, like you said, the truckers being on top of the the planted weapons and even the responses to like the, the fuel canny and different just measures by the police. It's been extremely, extremely tactful, intelligent, and it just always seems like these truckers are one or two steps ahead. And you can see the frustration in the authorities. That it's just not easy. Why, why aren't you going home yet? Yeah, I well, think... We always joke that the internet remains undefeated and Bitcoin follows very similar to the internet in terms of adoption, use case, and importance. And kind of the only other thing in the world that's truly decentralized. I know because uh, the internet's been around much longer, but uh, it makes you wonder not to go down a conspiracy theory route, but what would 2001 been like if the internet was fully developed as it is today or 2008, you know, social media was just kind of coming around. It's kind of like we've seen these tricks and um, we, we've seen these tricks before, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. I don't know. See, this is where I don't want to like tout us too much because we're still in this shithole of a mess two years later. It's 2022. So we're about to hit two year anniversary of lockdowns in the US. So uh, I don't want to give us too much credit. But finally, you know, this thank God for this movement for for sparking, uh, you know, the the courage to do something across the globe. Absolutely. All right, let's get into Fed news here. Um, do you want to play this clip from John Stewart? Or should we go into? No, the we, I, I know we're, we're going long, but we got to keep yeah. watching it. And you know, maybe this is helping Chris out who, who's running solo on the show. So keep keep going with the longer clip. All right. Yes, um, this clip is absolutely incredible, y'all. Like the world is waking up. They are starting to ask the questions and going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. They are. Yeah, everyone knows who John Stewart is. Uh, he had on Thomas Honig, I believe you say his name, Honig. He is a former president of the Kansas City Fed for 20 years. He stepped down in 2011. Then he went over to the FDIC where he was vice chair until... I think 2018 or 2019 when he stepped down and now he's doing some, you know, uh, academic work of, of some sort, but he was on John Stewart's show. And I wanted to set up this clip here a little bit. Uh, John Stewart is like, well, what is money? You know, can we just print money? Are you saying we just print money? He's like, yeah, we just print money. The fed is the only, uh, only institution in the world that can print money. And I'm hearing this, I'm like, well, what about commercial banks when they make loans? So I, I already at the beginning, I understand that this is a wake up call to John Stewart and to a lot of Americans and stuff. But even in this clip, I think honing has a long way to go to explain. Um, and the second thing I wanna set up right before this uh, plays here, the first half of this clip is John Stewart is having a hard time understanding why they can't just print money to pay off the debt. And Honig keeps trying to say, it's just an asset swap. We're just swapping one debt for another debt. It's not paying, we're not really printing money, we're printing debt. And that doesn't sink into Jon Stewart. But anyway, okay, I think that's enough of the setup. Let's go with the clip. All right, clip's about to play now. How much currency that has been sort of 
created out of thin air has been added into this economy through the Fed. What would you put as a figure? Would it be six trillion? Is that too much? It would be, yeah, six trillion in in terms of deposits with the banks and currency. Be six to seven trillion. Okay. That they're that they're just injecting into it sort of out of nothing. Uh, out of nothing. They're they're the the, <laughs> the central bank of the United uh, States. Now, oh think my about God. It. The central yeah. bank okay. of the United States uh-huh. is the only institution on earth that can create dollars and pay for nothing. assets out of nothing. It's alchemy. They're Rumpelstiltskin. Well, if, yes, in, a, in that sense, yes. And, and, and they've been given that authority by the Congress of the United States for purposes of dealing with crises, for example. What's to stop us from creating 10, tr- you know, I, I used to make fun of Paul Krugman for his idea of a trillion dollar coin, yeah, you know? Right. And yeah. now I feel, I feel myself saying, hey man, well, let's just get $10 trillion coins, give one to China, one to Europe. Are we square? Good. And then we start again because this whole thing seems manufactured. Okay, who receives the money? Uh, all the people that own the debt of the United States. So that money would be received by China, by Europe, uh, and all, all the debt holders. Okay, all, all you're doing there is changing one debt for another. Because the, the, the printing of the money is a liability, is a debt of the Federal Reserve System. That d- dollar, that liability that the Fed created, it's now owed to China. No, we give it to, what I'm saying is we're giving it to them now and saying, we don't owe you that anymore. Here it is. Yeah, but they have, what do they have? What, what did they, they have? The tr- the tr- they have, they the have a trillion tr- dollars. A tr- trillion dollars of Fed liabilities of, of money. M- Money that we printed, yeah. Right. And that's a liability of the Federal Reserve. That's and then debt. They, and, and then they forgive themselves. And oh, they just and they, oh then they just say, you're, you're okay? We like you? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think China's in the business of doing us any favors right now. And I don't think uh, uh, Europe is either for that kind of thing. Because why would they take the loss? Why would, they, why would but, they take the loss? I guess I'm confused as... If we can print money, you just said we're the only... We can buy an asset. Okay. Any asset. What 20% inflation print is going to do? Yep. <laughs> so we're back. That was the first half of the clip. It's pretty insane. It just reminds me of Mint the Coin uh, was going around uh, probably half a year ago at this point. Mint the Coin. Mint the yeah. Coin. If you guys want to take it away now. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, imagine what a 20% inflation print is going to do. So there's people are, are asking the questions. This is an insane clip. It doesn't really matter how completely correct it is. I think the fact that these conversations are being had and this level Absolutely. of a person is questioning this level of a person about these things uh, in intelligent discourse, like, you know, or you know, at least honest discourse, it seems. One, I love the format. And two, the fact that this is happening now. And you can see like the decentralized broadcast movement in play, right? Ansel brought this up as like how technology is helping this happen. You know, they're hanging out in their living rooms with their mics and they're good to go. They're they're creating content that is changing the world. And, you know, again, just seeing them talk about mint the coin and why can you make money, but you can't use the money in these ways. Like, I don't get it. Like, how does the system work? Uh, this first half of the clip was just absolutely incredible. And I think the second half is even more incredible, honestly, Ansel. Yeah, I just want to hone in on what I saw there as the signal. And that is that understanding what money is today is extremely hard and debt-based money does not function as you would, you know, that is, it's counterintuitive because John Stewart is right. He's like, why don't we just print the money? You say we print money. Why can't we just print the money? But no, it's because you can't pay off debt with more debt or at least it, it, you can, but it's just an asset swap. And it's very hard for people to understand that. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of the confusion in the global financial system today. But that's all I had on the second well, half. I want to jump in really quick before you before you prime the second half, but we talk about this on the show all the time. I, you brought up this example, and I just keep pounding the drum, but what we're in is a monetary hurricane, and all of these central bankers are pressing buttons, and it's like they, they have blinders on it and have absolutely no idea what is happening, and everyone is trying to navigate with all this chaos, 
and uncertainty that is being worsened by the nature of the central bankers and the nature of this financial system. So it's insane. It's not clear. This is in in Bitcoin is the exact opposite, right? Bitcoin is complete opposite of that system. That's why we are here and we are advocating for it. But uh, it's insane to watch. Uh, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, Bitcoin's clarity. It's perfect, uh, peaceful and serene. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I also wanted to add about that first half is um, this Honig. He was the first uh, Fed president to come up through the ranks. So he started at the Fed. He was at the Fed for almost 40 years total. And he was a president for 20 of those years. And he, so he was like kind of a people's banker. He came up from the bottom and worked his way up in the bank and he became president of the Kansas City Fed. And um, he's also seems to be very honest. Like he's actually trying to explain this to John Stewart and be open and honest. And a lot of people don't believe that. They don't think that these central bankers are open and honest and trying to, um, they're trying to pull one over. They're trying to, I don't know, uh, just lie to the people about CPI or lie to the people about all this other stuff. But there's there are those few and far between, yes, but there are those honest central bankers. And I think this Honig kind of shows that, uh, I mean, it seems like it's in good faith. Would you agree with that? I mean, I feel like a lot of these folks um, have different priorities and uh, it's interesting to see uh, the ones that pop up and seem to be making a good faith effort. Um, I don't want to make too many assumptions. I just don't know enough about this yeah. person. But this conversation, again, is like there's nothing stopping him from saying these things to this person on this platform. So that's what I'm observing. And it's very fascinating to see the conversation being Absolutely. Okay. The second half is he gets into the backing behind the system being faith-based. Um, and then he brings up Bitcoin towards the end. So Chris, we're ready to go for the next half. Yep. I'll play that clip right now. Okay. How much currency that has been sort of created? We can buy an asset. Okay. Any asset by printing money. That is, we, but you we, can't pay debt by printing money. You can buy debt by printing money. So what or if you, we just buy back you, our debt? Well, because all you're doing is- I feel like I feel I'm, like you're having trouble. It's like talking to a monkey. No, you're no. like talking to a monkey no, and trying no, to no, figure I, out, look, how do I communicate with this monkey? No, no, no. I don't no. know what to do. No, no, it, I, totally, I totally get it's confusing. Yeah. But remember, creating money, it means that the Federal Reserve creates a liability, debt, to buy debt or buy other assets. Right. Okay, so if they go out and say, well, to China, we want the government debt, and they say, okay, and we, and we say, we'll give you our deposit, our mm -hmm. money. That we've that, printed. Right, China says, fine, what okay. kind of interest are you gonna pay me? It's just another form of government debt. Am I, am I making sense? It, you know, it makes sense in the make-believe world of conjuring. Like, <laughs> there is a certain part of this that all feels like a mirage to some extent. Right. So it's, you know, when you think about fundamentals, right? So when I think about the fundamentals of the banking system, it makes sense to me. You have a central clearinghouse that their business model is, I'm gonna trust you with my savings. You're gonna give me interest on that. And you're gonna make a little money on that by loaning that money out to somebody right. else for a little bit more money. Right. It's a business model that makes sense. Right. When we start to get into, I'm printing money to buy bonds to artificially keep those interest rates low, it makes less sense. So it's hard for me not to think of, well, why can't we just buy back our own debt so that we owe it to ourselves? And if you owe it to yourself, then it no longer can be weaponized by a foreign power, or even by us, because right. you can create a different paradigm of what that debt looks like. Right. So it's it's hard for me when sometimes the, the rules of the Fed are explained, it's a little like saying, yes, you can levitate, but you cannot spin around. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it all oh, yeah. seems sort yeah. of fake. Well, 
it it is it's it's a fiduciary system. It's all right. faith based. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! Yes, you got to have confidence in that currency in that dollar because there's nothing back and there's no gold back in. So it. it's no- it's in some ways it's a mass delusion. Well, that's a harsh word, but uh, <laughs> it, so long as you have faith, yeah. Well, you might see it today. Right. In terms of with all this printing, you see these cryptocurrencies, these bitcoins. Right. Which are basically virtual currencies. And faith-based. To and some faith-based. Extent. We're back. That was uh, it's crazy. You know, clown world. Faith-based, yeah. Christian, you got you got a comment? Well, he's he's right about the faith-based nature of the existing system and the faith-based nature of the cryptocurrency space, but he's wrong about Bitcoin. So uh, I I think that the world right now is, uh, you know, thinks everything is like itself. Everything uh, is, nothing has changed. Everything is still fiat. They, they're about to realize that Bitcoin is not, and Bitcoin is a completely different beast. And Bitcoin is very, very real. I think that that's something that Bitcoiners have been talking about before is that this awakening that Bitcoin is not optional is has yet to happen and it's kind of happening uh, slowly but surely. I think Canada is a great example of that. But it's incredible again to see, you know, on the flip side, the positive side, the silver lining of this conversation is like, you know, he is talking honestly about the existing system and trying to explain it to, to, to John and saying like, hey, look, like, this is why we can't do everything you want because we have to maintain the faith. Like they have to still have the faith that, you know, we we're not going to just, you know, make up the rules uh, without any sort of uh, any sort of constraint. Um, So uh, it it really is incredible to watch. And, you know, there's not much more that you have to say. If you just watch that clip, it really says it all. Yeah. I want to, um, comment on the difference between a commodity money and a credit-based money. So yeah, credit-based money is totally based on faith, like he said, because if I don't have faith that, you know, what's the value of that loan that I made to you if I know you're not going to pay it back? It's zero. So yes, the value of the backing of a credit-based currency, that is faith-based, but the value of a commodity money is not faith faith based. So gold, there's gold there. That is the gold backing in a big with a Bitcoin standard. There would be Bitcoin backing it. So there is some faith that my counterparty is good for it. But the entire system is not based on faith with a commodity money. It's based on the actual backing of the currency. So I, I mean, People need to push back on that because, yes, uh, it's even in the Bitcoin space. I hear this all the time that, um, you know, Bitcoin, all money is an illusion, a shared delusion, but it's not because I can actually, you know, see my Bitcoins in my wallet, send them to somebody else. They can receive them with gold. I can hold it in my hand and stuff. So, um, you know, that, that's that's not an illusion, right? Bitcoin is Bitcoin, not an illusion. Bitcoin, I completely agree. Bitcoin is so incredibly real. And what Bitcoin is, is a physical network of distributed keys and hardware. That's it. And that is a really real thing. So Bitcoin is by no means faith. It is utilizing a very real network. And that network is growing by the day. And it's absolutely incredible. And it's about to eat the world. Like the entire world is going to be running on this network. And then tell me that it's faith-based. Right. This is extremely real and is connecting everyone together. And it's extremely distributed. Again, like where are the keys to those Canadian funds? Who knows? Good luck finding them. <laughs> All right. Let's get into CPI here. Wrap up the show with uh, some kind of, I guess, this is just going to be a jumble of, of Fed news. So the CPI in January hit 7.5% and everyone started panicking. Right. Everyone was like, oh, my God, the Fed is going to have an emergency rate cut. And they had an actual emergency meeting yesterday, but nothing has come of that. They, they said, you know, we're still planning on moving in March. We're not going to do some emergency rate hike. Um, 
So that kind of passed, the market calmed down. The probability of a 50 basis point rate hike in March has dropped dramatically. So it looks like they're going to just maybe in March, you know, raise that 25 basis points each time, each meeting. But uh, there's no kind of rush to this inter-meeting rate hike. I have some more links for that. I'll include in the show notes so you guys can read up on your own. Do you have any comments on that or should we go into the Raskin update? I think the Raskin update is going to be a lot more interesting, but I just want to point out of the continuation of the trend that we have been pointing out, which is that, you know, this is all about managing expectations, managing impressions, maintaining the faith. So, oh my God, this huge print, we have to have an emergency meeting. Again, it's, you know, it's almost like a ceremony of like, oh my God, something happened. And then, okay, we're going to continue on our, on our existing path. Right. So it's very much they're they're managing expectations, they're managing impressions, they're managing what uh, people expect from them. But then on the other hand, they're they're behaving in a different way. So this is it's a continuation on on an existing trend. Yeah. And like Honing said, it's about all about confidence. The Fed doesn't want to have people lose confidence in their monetary policy. So. Okay, let's go on to Sarah Bloom Raskin. I just wrote a piece for Bitcoin Magazine that was published yesterday, and it's pretty. Ti- it ended up to be pretty timely because uh, in there I point out some of the just fireworks that happened at the Senate Banking Committee. And yes, I think there is fireworks at Senate Banking Committees. I actually watch that stuff. Most people don't. But I wanted to read some of the stuff from my, uh, just a couple of paragraphs from my piece here. The real fireworks started at one hour and 55 minutes into the the meeting into the uh, Senate Banking Committee. When Senator Loomis of Wyoming, a friend of Bitcoin, took the mic and absolutely grilled Raskin about Federal Reserve master account access and her possible indecent connection to one to the one and only fintech company with a master account, which received that master account while Raskin was on its board in 2018. Loomis laid out compelling circumstantial evidence that Raskin served at the Fed from Uh, 2010 to 2014, then the Treasury from 2014 to 2017. After her time in government, she joined the Board of Reserve Trust in Colorado, which was denied a master account in 2017, but then was granted a master account after Raskin made a call to the St. Louis Federal Reserve on its behalf. Again, it's important to note that this is the only non-bank to be given that honor, even as dozens in Loomis's home state of Wyoming have failed to make headway in the last two and a half years uh, trying to get a master account. A year after the master account was secured, Raskin left the board and was bought out for $1.5 million. So she made $1.5 million for serving on a board for two years, and she made a phone call to the Fed. This brings up huge uh, questions about, you know, her conflicts of interest, and if she's actually been criminal or indecent in those those, uh, connections that she's made within government, and should we put her as vice chair of the Federal Reserve? So Christian, do you have uh, any comments on that? Sounds a lot like Christine Lagarde. (laughs) Yeah, she has a criminal history. Uh, Hers was money laundering or fraud or something like that. So yeah, very, very similar. But I, I think it's my whole piece that I wrote for Bitcoin Magazine was about the possibility of a progressive shift or a political shift in the Fed. And I know a lot of people in Bitcoin and a lot of people uh, in sound money and all that stuff, they think that the Fed is political. But if Sarah Bloom Raskin gets on the board, if she's a vice chair of supervision or the head of supervision at the Fed, uh, it could get really political. And that's what I was pointing out with my piece. Uh, she also ha- is friendly, just like Lail Brainerd. She's friendly to CBDCs and some of the other kind of globalist initiatives or agenda items like climate change. So she wants to limit the access to Fed funds according to what industry you're in and what your business is. Uh, and so this is politics getting you know, in, ingrained at the Fed, and I hope that she doesn't get uh, confirmed. And just this morning, news broke on Zero Hedge. I saw that uh, they are begging for a continuance on this very matter. So she... You know, her confirmation that seemed like a home run at first, now they're seeing major pushback, and we'll see if she gets confirmed. 
Yeah. So, I mean, just to, to add a little bit additional color here is, you know, again, this is typical behavior. We've seen this across different spectrums, across state, local, corporate, everywhere. This happens. Um, you know, a great example of this is the bit license in New York. You know, the guy who created the bit license, he went and then served over at First Ripple and now at NYDIG, which is, you know, everyone's favorite big hyper-Bitcoinization company now. Uh, we see this kind of like jumping between politics and then industry and then back into politics and then back into industry, taking an advantage of your role. So um, I'm glad that, you know, Senator Lummis, friend of Bitcoin, friend of freedom is calling this out, but it's so difficult to stamp it all out because it's like one after another, after another, these people, you know, emerge and then are, you know, are being nominated for these insane roles. Like how many people has Biden nominated or been involved with nominating that or this administrative administration has been involved with nominating that have been of this kind of elk? It's just like endless, right? Uh, wasn't there that person who was part of some sort of like Moscow-based doctoral? You know, I, I forgot all her details, but it was like a trained communist. And, you know, she gets nominated, looks like it's going to be a home run, and then gets some questioning and then, you know, is no longer in the running. Uh, and that's just, and then Leal Brainer and now this, you know, again, I'm just pulling these off the top of my head, but it's just endless, right? There's an endless stream and how many of them uh, are going to actually make it in? Yeah, I, I, th I think that the internet is being successful at pushing back a little bit on this. Um, nobody would have known anything about the vice chair at the Fed, except for, you know, insiders in the banking industry. But now with the internet, we know this, we know her past uh, comments uh, on monetary policy and, and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's, it's a, a big win that she's at least getting some pushback. I wanted to uh, point out the exact, like, claim that these Republican senators are making. They sent her 36 questions for the record. And on these 36 questions, she claimed she, quote, did not recall or was, quote, unaware. So on all of these things, she just is refusing to ask these senators questions about this questionable activity. So we'll see. I mean, this, this would be a huge win for freedom, I guess, if no matter how you look at it, uh, it is for uh, not politicizing the Fed, this would be a big win. Well, I hope that we can push back at the same time, everything is good for Bitcoin. So if if the Fed ends up becoming corrupted, the faster they become corrupted, the, the sooner people will be forced to actually move to an alternative system, which is Bitcoin. Uh, we're seeing that in Canada. This show seems very circular as we continue to refer to what is happening right now and how that is going to continue to affect what's happening at the highest levels of central banking. Um, Ansel, anything else that you want to touch on uh, to close out this show? Nope. I think it was a, a good rip and we can turn 20 minutes of uh, content into an hour. No problem. <laughs> No, I mean, hey, there's there's a lot to unpack here, y'all. Like, this is history in the making. So I hope yeah. that you appreciate, you know, whatever circumstance you're in that um, you're witnessing the defining moments of, you know, the next era of humanity. Um, I hope that, you know, freedom and uh, respect and sovereignty wins. Yeah, I mean, if you want to celebrate those things, you got to go to Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through 9th. Chris, Ansel, and myself, the entire Bitcoin Magazine team, all of the known English-speaking Bitcoin universe, um, and anyone who can make it into North America will be there, and just an incredible collection of 30,000 Bitcoiners. So uh, use promo code YTMAG, that's YTMAG, to get 10% off your ticket. Tickets go up in price in two days. So get your ticket now, use that promo code, buy in Bitcoin for maximum savings. So use something like Strike or an exchange to uh, maximize your savings. You save hundreds of dollars if you pay in Bitcoin. So we want those sats bad. And come to Bitcoin 2022, be a part of history in person um, and continue listening to these, this great show and this great analysis over on Bitcoin Magazine Live on YouTube, on the FedWatch podcast app or podcast feed. Uh, and follow Ansel at Ansel Linder. Follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Chris, Ansel, any last minute messages or should we uh, run the commercial? 
Uh, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com, sign up for my free weekly newsletter, covers all the important sectors of Bitcoin, and I touch on macro uh, events as well. Thank you, CK. Thank you, Ansel. Thank you for everyone who's watching on Twitch, YouTube, LinkedIn, tw uh, Twitter, you name it. Thanks so much. We'll be back again tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. Jameson Lop talking about his article, Swatting the Swatter. We will also have another episode of The Breakup with Nolan, followed by the deep dive with all the usual suspects of CK, Dylan LeClaire, and Sam Rule breaking down their analysis of on-chain metrics. So guys, thanks so much. Have a great one. And uh, make sure to get your tickets to the conference. CK, anything else to add? Adding in the rational route to the deep dive segment tomorrow too. So one of the best on-chain analysts coming on and joining us. Uh, and A, go over to Twitter Spaces and listen to me talk to y'all about the latest at the Bitcoin conference. So really excited to share about a lot of the new content that is coming out. Uh, but until then, peace out. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.